Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rancho on AM 770 KTTH streaming live on the KTTH smartphone app. Downtown Seattle is, oh, that's an absolute mess. And that is what's trending. What's trending in Seattle? I decided to go down to downtown Seattle because it's been a, a couple weeks, three, four weeks even, since I went into like the heart of the madness, just to get a better sense of where things currently stand. We talked about on Friday over the weekend, there was this pickup basketball tournament that was announced on Friday for the next day. So I'm assuming no one actually showed up. There's a pickleball tournament next week as part of the mayor's plan to revitalize downtown Seattle. He has little interest in cleaning up the homelessness and maybe, you know, power washing the scent of urine that is so, so, so strong you could quite literally taste it. No interest in that. Let's have a pickleball tournament. Okay, that will do, of course, nothing. And what I was shocked to find out as I spent some time there over the weekend was that it got way worse than what it was. Now, I'm not going to count the week leading into and the week out of the All-Star game. The city very clearly, though they'll tell you otherwise, they very clearly cleaned up everything. This was the only time they actually seemed to care enough about the downtown area to truly give it the sweep that it deserved. Though they didn't get rid of the urine smell. Maybe you can't. Maybe it's just... Well, it's more of a mop than a sweep. It's just... I I don't... I'm at the point where, because it's in concrete, which is porous, I wonder if you just... It's too far gone. There's nothing. There's not a power washing hose in the world that can get rid of it. If there were, Alpine Specialty Services could probably do it. They should probably reach out to our wonderful sponsor. So I'm not counting those two weeks. There was a point about a year, year and a half ago where it was untenable. It was so bad that the mayor, after a couple of murders and a whole lot of violence and just dozens of addicts, actively using on the street that he came in and said, okay, enough is enough. We're going to do not only a sweep, but we're going to have more police officers there. They're going to be monitoring 24 seven. We're going to have 30 cops do it. And of course he didn't have 30 cops and it wasn't 24 seven, but it very clearly got a lot better. Yeah. It's returning to where it once was. The the only difference I noticed was, you know how we used to focus on a, an intersection third and pine, So it used to be when we talked about third and pine, we were really talking about the folks who were on third, third at pine. But they were all congregating on third street and they were smoking uh, fentanyl meth and some of them were just zombied out. It's just it was disturbing. They just moved to now the pine portion. They're no longer just on third. They're now just on pine. It's it's actually closer to Westlake Center, which is precisely where you wouldn't want them to be, because that is a place where a lot of tourists go. Seems kind of silly that there wouldn't be any urgency to move them away. But they're just camped out there, completely occupying one of the entrance and exits to sound transit, which the escalator doesn't work anyway. So it's not like you're going to use that, especially if you've got luggage. It, it's remarkable what the city will put up with. And I I posit to you that it is an example of a city 
with leaders who simply do not care, who just don't take pride. You wouldn't allow this in your own neighborhood. You would be upset. You would be screaming from the rooftops. You would be doing what you could to make sure it got cleaned up. And whatever the version of this would be inside of your own household, would would you ever let your household become just a total and utter pigsty? The only people who do are the ones who just don't really care. Like, whatever. It is what it is. I can't be bothered to put the socks away. I'm just going to leave them on the floor. I can't be bothered to pick up the towel I just used. That's an indication that you just don't care. And if someone like that was staying with us, we would all say, get out of here. We're done with you. I'm sick and tired of it. We haven't gotten to that point. We have a city leadership that just doesn't care, with the exception, of course, of Sarah Nelson, who is a council member who I think really does care and is trying her best, especially tomorrow when we've got this drug debate coming back up. And I'm told it's a mess because of amendments. Could it be cleaned up? Yes, hopefully it will be. We'll be following. But it's it's just not okay to me. Why do we think that this is acceptable? And I did one of those things where I always regret doing, which was I went down the Reddit hole with, with a bunch of basement dwellers who were complaining about uh, everything, just everything. It's like, dude, I know you can't get a wife or a girlfriend, but seriously, you have to take that out on me because they were calling me out for demonizing downtown Seattle. It was another one of those themes of what is the question was, why do people think that Seattle's in bad shape? And people were like, oh, it's because of Jason Rance and Fox News. They're just they're lying about it. And they bring back Chopper Chaz and like, yeah, I remember getting calls from my my mother in in uh, Mississippi asking, am I safe? And I was like, well, yeah, everything's great here. And this was during Chop Chaz where people were murdered and a deaf woman almost raped. And a building almost burned down. But otherwise, it was an amazing point of our history that I'm so proud of. And they're saying, yeah, there's nothing wrong here. This is just conservative media going into overdrive. And, you know, my my response to that is, of course, first of all, you must not live here. Number two, we are going to, at this pace that we're at, we will exceed the all-time high homicide numbers. We're going to exceed that at this point. We are within the next two weeks, maybe three weeks, we will exceed our record high fatal overdose number. Just on those two things alone, you're going to tell me that nothing is wrong, that all is well. We have not even a tiny bit of a problem, not even a little tiny bit. Go downtown. Oh, I have. I'm there every single day. It's amazing. It's vibrant. No, it's not. You're a liar. You are lying. You've either lied to yourself and made yourself convinced of that fact, or you're just flat out lying because you're an ideological bigot. If anyone goes to downtown Seattle and tells me all is well, it's gorgeous, it's amazing, ooh, fresh air, you're a liar. You're not mistaken, you are a liar. Then, of course, I went into the Target because I was just kind of curious. And row after row after row after row. Products are behind a lock and key, and now you have to push a button that alerts one of the employees that you're there ready to buy toothpaste, detergent, shaving cream. All of these things are behind lock and key. 
because that's the stuff that's so easily stolen and then sold on the streets, the cash that you get used to buy usually fentanyl, sometimes meth. And the super depressing part about that as I was there, as I was going up one of the escalators, I saw one of the theft prevention staff members. And I made eye contact and he quickly ducked away. And I realized he wasn't looking at me. He was looking at someone who he suspected of stealing. Despite everything that they were doing, they still have a shoplifting problem. That is not sustainable. It's Target, right? And they've got some money to spend here and, frankly, some money to lose. They're trying to stick around for the long game. But even those big stores, they end up saying, yeah, we can't do it anymore. Bartels, before it was sold, ended up closing their downtown location or their uh, Pioneer Square location because it was getting robbed all the time. You have small businesses, countless small businesses that are constantly getting robbed. And they're saying, yeah, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. This is not the city that we deserve, but it's the city that we get because we've chosen to put people in power that seem to be okay with this. And frankly, you know what? I don't even – we do get the city we deserve. This is the city that we deserve because we're putting up with people who we shouldn't put up with. We're putting into office the people we shouldn't be putting into office. We're allowing good candidates not even to get out of the general election. And there are too few people who actually seem to give a damn about any of what's going on. They'll maybe tell you if you push them, hey, do you care? Oh, yeah, I really care. And then you ask them, oh, yeah, what'd you do? Nothing. You're doing nothing about it. Meanwhile, we've got the the PR dorks on, on Reddit who every day that they don't get a date, they gain another three pounds. And then, of course, it just becomes a momentum of a snowball effect before they can't even leave their homes. And now all they're doing is typing on read it with their fat hands oh, okay i was like that's what typing sounds like but i guess fat, fat hands typing sure sure yeah where you can't even tell if it's a finger or at that point is it like a, a flipper <sighs> push the button what's trending in amazonia i did not realize that this was happening but apparently for months something called the authors guild which i'm assuming represents authors although they don't represent me and i'm not asking to be into into your little group But they've been complaining to Amazon about AI and how it's influencing some of their sales. And they finally got Amazon to implement a new requirement that if you want to sell books through the ebook program, so via Kindle, you have to tell them in advance if your work includes AI material of any kind. Because the fear essentially is that you can have someone using AI basically crank out a book in an afternoon, do some basic editing to make sure that it all makes sense. And then through this process, the way that Kindle works for independent authors, you can literally just upload it and start selling it. You, you set all the parameters and whatnot. I think there's some questions you have to go through of making sure that it's not copyrighted material, for example, that you're trying to sell. But it's a, a pretty quick process certainly much quicker than it is for traditional publishers to get their books listed because number one you have to actually print a, a, a traditional book and it has to go through a longer process it's like they're actual editors so amazon posted on its content guideline page that quote we define ai generated content as text images or translations created by an ai based tool 
Now, they differentiate between AI-assisted content, which authors don't have to disclose, and the AI-generated. AI-assisted is, and I've, I did this a couple times just looking for some, some data points to start, chat GP, GPT saying, hey, how many homicides in Philadelphia by year from 1990 through 2023? That wasn't the exact one I did, but something similar to that. And then it spits out the information. You still, I still went back and double check because who knows if it's true, but it gave me a starting off point. They're saying you don't have to do any of that. Don't have to disclose that. But if you say, hey, chat GPT, write a book called What's Murdering America uh, with 250 pages explaining blah, 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 blah. And it spits it out. That's the kind of stuff that you would have to tell it, um, tell them about. Now, I don't know if that's going to matter for two reasons. Number one, they don't have to tell the public that a book was AI generated. They just have to tell Amazon. I don't know what good that does if you're not going to tell the public. If the concern is that it's basically eating into the profits of actual writers, like human beings who created the content. And then number two, how do you prove something is AI generated or not? Like let's say you AI generated an entire book. And I submitted it, and they said, did you do that? And I said, no, it was all me. Oh, how do they check it? I know that there was talk about there's some software that can help detect some of it. I'm very dubious about the effectiveness of that kind of technology. I, I Just tell the AI generator and write it in a way that's not going to get detected by your brother over there, that other piece of software. Do you Snitch GPT. <laughs> do you think you could spot the difference as a reader, though? and be able to actually tell like hey this seems ai generated or do you think it, it would just pass by it depends so it depends on the content if it's not edited at all you might be able to i mean it's, again it is it something that's already kind of difficult to understand like if it's a medical journal or something like that where it's really high end no i probably wouldn't be able to tell unless there were just weird phrasing but the ai technology is getting to a point where it is probably getting more and more and more difficult and will continue to get more difficult to understand whether or not something is legit or not. But I, I, sir, I wouldn't buy a book if it told me it was AI generated. I wouldn't buy that book. Would I look at like maybe how it operate, like how it, it came out? I guess, cause I'm just curious, but I would never buy that book. And if you're not going to list it on the Amazon, why would the Authors Guild people be satisfied with this? And in fairness, they're not saying they're satisfied and they're basically saying it's a step in the right direction. But, you know, I think a, a little bit about this, given the fact that I do have a book coming out. It's called What's Killing America Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. We already hit our pre-sale goal, but I want to really ramp it up as we go into the release date in two weeks. Um, published by Center Street, not KTTH. They didn't pay me for it. Center Street did, and it wasn't self-published, by the way, and no AI helped at okay, all. Okay, I was going to make sure you specify. You should specify now that it's not AI-generated. I mean, I've never actually spoken directly to my editor, and it does sound like he's talking through a tin can. I, it's, I'm sure it's just his weird voice. Um, but I was thinking about this, too, of, yeah, it's not fair. Why should I have to compete against, in the example I gave, what's stopping someone using AI going in and saying, Write a book in the style of Jason Rance titled What's Murdering America? Same basic concept. At Chat GBT, I want you to look up uh, homelessness, crime, immigration, housing policy, uh, education, whatever it is. 
uh, spit out a book, each chapter, have it about 20, 25 pages long. What's to stop them from doing that and then just posting it and undercutting everything? On top of that, you can create artwork that's very similar to the front page or the the cover art of of a book. And it's not just me. Just think about it in any way, right? I, I noticed that there were a lot of books about Tucker Carlson on there, and they were all Kindle books that were like 27 pages, and they were trying to steal the idea from Chadwick Moore, who wrote the book. Tucker, that's been very successful. So there's no real protection set up. And at some point, there ought to be. It would be one thing if you were writing the content yourself and trying to undercut another author, right? That I'm presuming happens all the time. Certainly, I think in movies where probably the reason why you get like 12 movies about asteroids destroying Earth coming out about the same time. But that the computer generated part where you're really not doing any work, that there needs to be some safeguards for content. And that's, you know, I stand a little bit with the Hollywood writers who are on strike just on that point of wanting some sort of protections against AI taking over. I get it. And, you know, in fairness, if they want to go with AI content, it's up to them. But they would tell us, I would hope. But if you don't know, you you might be undercutting an author you like or a publisher you like, whatever it is. And, by the way, just buying crummy content when you don't know it's actually AI generated. So Amazon's got a lot to figure out. In the meantime, though, uh, go buy my book, pre-order it, buy like 17 copies each. And if you don't, you're truly selfish. I There, I said it. How many did you buy? I haven't bought it yet. Selfish. I saw you hand out a free copy of your book. To John Curley. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm a coworker too. I could get a free book. You could. Yes, it's it, it is true. You could. So, will you is the question. Yeah, that is the, answer, the question. Of course, is no to that. You can buy okay. your own book. Well, we'll see. I'll just steal one from my office. My God, I gave out. Um, I have. Don't a PDF. give me ideas. I have a PDF version of the book that I've been giving out to some people. Usually, other people in the media who I'm doing interviews with, and uh, Liz Wheeler, for example. I'm on her show on Friday. I gave her the book. All the Fox people got books. Um, by the way, quick show note, I'm filling in for Dan Bongino on Thursday, which, believe me, I'll be selling the hell out of that book multiple, multiple times to the point where Dan might say, maybe we can't have you on anymore. But I'll be like, well, I already got what I needed out of it. I'm kidding. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to sell the book there. But I gave a hard copy to John Curley because do you think in any world, in any reality, he is capable of even downloading the PDF file? Oh, John Curley? Yeah. Oh. Any in any reality, do you think he's capable? Not even I'm not even saying opening it, which we all know he's not going to be able to do. He's not going to know what to open it on. Do you think he can even download it? Cuz the file is too big to send as an attachment, so I'd have to do it on the OneDrive. Do you think he knows what the OneDrive oh, is? Oh, no. He's... Do you think Do you think he knows his password to his email? Yes. You are incorrect. As I really? found out today, he has no idea what his best. Ah, uh, well, yeah. he still thinks the stuff downstairs at the market is is free. He referred to it as the giveaway stuff uh, this afternoon, so that's good. And we keep getting yelled at because people like that. Uh, but the book is available right now over at Amazon, Walmart.com, Barnes and Noble. It's called "What's Killing America: Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities." And I take you through the, as the title suggests the policies in Democrat-run cities that have run amok 
and I explain to you specifically what's behind these ideas, how are they actually being implemented, and what you can do to stop it. Because as many of you already know, certainly most of you who have been with me for a long time, either here or on our sister station, Chiron News Radio, when I was doing nights, I would get text messages, oh, I can't stand living in Seattle anymore, I've moved to Enumclaw, I've moved to uh, Yelm, I've moved to Elma, I'm just getting out of it, I can't do it anymore. And now I get text messages from the basically the same people in the same area saying, oh, my God. Oh, it's followed. It's like the STD horror movie. It follows. They followed me. Now I've got the homelessness crisis in my backyard. Now the drug issue is rearing its ugly head. Now I realize that my taxes are going through the roof. I'm not even entirely sure what I'm getting for them. It spreads. Now, we can choose to be silent and cede all this power to radicals on the left so that they can continue to destroy communities, right? And we can do that. I would prefer not. I would prefer we actually push back and actually win, making sure that our ideas are effectively presented to people. Because, and I said this today with an interview I was doing with another, uh, with a national show of like, I can go around. And ask people very specific questions around, do you know what harm reduction is as it relates to the drug policy? They will have no clue what in the world it is I'm talking about. I'll say, do you know what housing first is? I have no idea. Well, you do realize that it dictates all of our housing and homelessness policies, right? Wait, what? People just don't know. And I'm willing to bet a lot of people who are listening don't know all of the specifics. So I hope you'll go ahead and purchase the book. Plus, it makes me wealthier and it feeds my ego. I want to get on a bestseller list. I told um, Trace Gallagher on Fox News, I I want to get on any bestseller list so I can put it on my Tinder profile. National bestselling author. So that they can overlook all the other things that intimidate them. Actually, it just might intimidate them more. Never mind. But I do want to get on that list. So go to Amazon and purchase the book. 1-800-465-877 if you want to send me a text. The Jason Ranch Show. Here to react, Seattle Talk Radio host Jason Ranch. And the rise of soft on crime laws and policies have made it worse. Our man in the Pacific Northwest, Jason Rance, is on that. And you keep on bringing her these extraordinary stories from Seattle. It's amazing. Long form. Last week, the University of Washington released results from a study providing an exposure assessment on mass transit in the Pacific Northwest. And they found that it's it's everywhere. They found meth in 98% of the surface samples and 100% of the air samples. And they found fentanyl in 46% of the surface samples and 25% of the air samples. And yet, the UW is telling us that it is safe to continue to use mass transit messaging that was amplified by the transit agencies that funded the studies, but also amplified by the Washington Poison Center. And we have a good relationship with them, so we decided to actually talk to someone there. Dr. Scott Phillips is the executive and medical director for the Washington Poison Center, and he joins me now. Welcome back to the show. It's been a very long time. Thank you, Jason. Good to be here. So you you released a letter responding to the study. What was the impetus for the letter, and what, what just generally for my audience, what was the message? Well, we knew ahead of time that the study was going to be uh, released. Um, and we wanted to be able to have a response for this because we anticipated there would be an awful lot of interest, uh, and we wanted to be able to put uh, risk in perspective. 
was there a lot of interest for, to, to specifically your agency? I would say there's been some interest, but not as much as I anticipated. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm I'm very interested in this. So you write in the the letter that health impacts are not likely based on the amounts of drug smoke residue that was found. And the study essentially says the same thing. I just pulled two quick sentences. It said, in general, levels of meth and fentanyl found on transit vehicles in this exposure assessment are unlikely to cause acute short-term physical health effects for the riding public who spend less time on transit than the operators. They go on to say, at the levels seen in this study, there's no evidence of acute medical conditions resulting from passive exposure to fentanyl or meth. Now, I I think it kind of obfuscates one issue that we'll get into in a second, but the study didn't test for acute medical conditions related to passive exposure to drug use. So how could you or the UW researchers tell us basically the same thing, that we're we're using the study to claim that there's not likely going to be any sort of health impact. That's that was not what was studied here. Yeah, that's it. that's absolutely correct. There, there was no health component to this study. This was a study looking at sampling just to see if there was anything present. Um, and the way you get there, however, is that with air concentrations, we know how much people inhale per minute, per hour, per day. Um, we know at these um, air concentrations that they measured, and you can make some association with that with the dose that might be inhaled by an individual. And in, in toxicology, one of the very important tenets is that the dose makes the poison. So we think that really everything can be poisonous mm-hmm. if you get enough sure. of it in the right dose, water, oxygen, whatever it might be, in this case, meth or fentanyl. Um, And we know these concentrations, and both meth and fentanyl, uh, I think it's important that people know that these are medications that are prescribed. Uh, So we have a lot of information on what the dose is that actually works for Mm -hmm. their prescriptive purpose. Now, that's not illicit, and that's not taking into consideration how they're made and where they're Mm -hmm. made and all those Mm -hmm. kind of things. But just the pure medications, you know, we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of times less than what it would take to make it effective uh, in a clinical setting. So these are, these are really minute concentrations that these laboratory instruments are able to measure and quantify, uh, but they're you know, nowhere near in the range that would be therapeutic for anyone to cause any kind of health effect. But don't you think it's problematic that the study itself makes that claim, and then you're also making the claim at the time where the study is released, giving the impression that the study actually looked into that when it didn't. No, I'm, I'm not making that claim at all. What I'm saying is that if you take those air concentrations and you can make some assumptions on how close people are, how much they're breathing, you get some basic idea. Now, that's not the same thing as doing an actual human health study, a human, you know, risk assessment study on people, that wasn't done. And perhaps that might be uh, a second type of study that would be planned. Mm -hmm. Uh, All I can comment on is what does this air concentration mean of, you know, 0.04 micrograms per meter cube? You know, what does that mean? And that's, that was my purpose of, of, uh, 
part of releasing the, the uh, letter that we did. I just think, especially based on the press release, that someone might assume, and you're not a part of the, the study, you're no. completely separate from that. But I, I think the implication that people are taking from this is that it was studied from a health perspective and that it was 100% not the case. And frankly, the reason why this was originally studied was that transit operators started to feel sick as people were actively smoking, you know, fentanyl or meth on board, whatever it happens to be. And I've been on a couple of buses in which people are clearly smoking what I assume to be fentanyl based on the smell. And it's sad that I now know what fentanyl smells like. Am I to believe that that is safe, being within, you know, a a seat, a row of someone who's actively smoking fentanyl? So, Jason, it's hard to equate that specific uh, incident, for example, because we don't have any quantification of what that air concentration would be. You know, what we do know from this study is these are what the numbers are. What do those numbers potentially mean? Now, we do know that, particularly with fentanyl, it's uh, extremely um, fat-soluble. It likes to go into body tissues. It Mm -hmm. doesn't like to come out. Uh, And so when smokers smoke it, the vast majority that they inhale, almost all of it, really stays inside of them. Now, there is the side stream part, just like tobacco smoke, that that can come off the foil and around the room. And that's uh, seemingly what we might be measuring, although it's probably coming from multiple sources from their clothing in a variety of places. But as far as an an actual example, I can't tell you that because we don't have that study. We don't have those numbers to look at. Then just again, what would do you guys have studies or, or numbers generally speaking of what that cloud of smoke would look like when someone is actively smoking? And I asked that in the context of, and maybe I'll just ask it this way. What's, what's less safe fentanyl exposure or secondhand tobacco smoke exposure for, from me, if someone's smoking a cigarette on a bus and I'm the same, you know, rows away from that individual versus someone smoking fentanyl. Am I to fear one more so than the other? Well, they're both likely to be low-level exposures um, from what we're seeing in this. And and this we have to extrapolate in this UW study, yeah. right? Because they didn't look at tobacco smoke. They just looked at at these two different substances and, and by the way, just for, for clarification, we don't even know in this study if someone was actively smoking at the time near one of the, the sensors, right? I mean, it, it could have been so obviously it was in the, the air. It's possible that, frankly, it wasn't clean the way that these uh, uh, transit cars or buses are supposed to be cleaned. And anyone who takes either of them know that's usually the case. So I don't know what the, the recent exposure was, the timeline, but, but sorry, I cut you off. No, I, I, no problem. I, I, I believe the study actually mentioned that they did have some video cameras and they were, uh, there was some suggestion of when the sample may have occurred during or around that time period. But I don't believe the study mentioned how close they were to yeah. the actual sensors that they were doing. Yeah, and I, re- and I read it over the weekend. I, d- I didn't recall any mention, speci- at least specifically uh, claiming that this that that had occurred during this testing and as i point out uh, over at ktth.com i have a piece on this you know i've i i'm a daily user of mass transit and 
this study only looked at the evening. It only looked at certain routes. I have actually, oddly enough, only experienced uh, this kind of incident in mornings. I don't know if that's just my experience. I don't know if that is uh, a, a general yeah. sense of things. But, I mean, that also impacts all of this. At the end of the day, we, we've been told that secondhand tobacco smoke kills. We have to have outdoor designated areas for this. And even then, we're told that it's a danger. We were told that you can't get COVID out, that you can get COVID outdoors. You can get it on surfaces. And that was a big deal that kids were going to die. You have a lot of politics that I think can sometimes drive science, but also, in, in fairness to, to scientists, can also be interpreted by those of us outside of the world of science in, in political uh, ways. Are, are you confident, based on this study, that you don't think any politics played a role or any conflict of interest played a role, given the fact that transit agencies have a lot on the line and they're the ones who funded this? Uh, you know, you know, Jason, I don't that's inside baseball and I, I don't have any knowledge of what they did on the inside of this study and how it was developed or, or any of that. You know, all I can tell you is looking at the numbers that are in their study. Uh, you, you know, for example, the methamphetamine, the highest concentration uh, that they recorded was 2.32 mites per meter cube. Well, if, if you look at a package of, of sugar, that's about four grams, and each particle of sugar is about five micrograms. So this is essentially half of a particle of sugar dispersed in a thousand liters of air mm-hmm. to give you kind of a quantification of that. So this is even their highest number is incredibly small. This is a typical user of methamphetamine would use about a hundred milligrams of meth. Um, so this is, you know, tens of thousands of times, you know, less than a therapeutic dose is anywhere from five to 20 milligrams a day, twice a day. Mm-hmm. And the abuser about a hundred milligrams a use, uh, and so we're talking about micrograms. So a microgram is, you know, a million times less than a gram. So these are tiny, tiny concentrations. So just looking at the study, that's all I can tell. I can't tell about any of the design concepts or biases or things like that. There's That's all kind of built into the study. And that would be a question for the transit or UW people, I think. Fair enough. We've been talking with Dr. Scott Phillips. He's the executive director and medical director for the Washington Poison Center. As always, I appreciate uh, you coming on and, and actually having a conversation about these issues. I really do. Happy to help. Call anytime, Jason. I will. You are listening to The Jason Rancho. When we come back, it's time for the quick hit. The Jason Rant Show. Let's bring in our man in the Pacific Northwest, KTTH Seattle Talk Radio host Jason Rantz. Great to have you with us to tell people a little bit more about this. Jason Rantz is in focus now. Jason Rantz, thank you for your reporting on that. The Quick Hit. Look, I get that politicians are going to spin, right? They're going to spin whether they're on the right or the left or they're down the middle or they're socialists. Doesn't matter what it is. We know that politicians going to spin. Politicians going to politician. But at some point, when it is so obvious that that's, in fact, what they're doing, it is, to to me at least, it feels like there is going one step too far. 
when everybody knows, I question whether or not there is value to that claim, right? Whether or not there is value to whatever it is you're saying. And I say this because, and I'm not going to play the full clip. In fact, I'm not even going to play the clip. There is an interview that Gavin Newsom gave with Chuck Todd. This was his final episode of Meet the Press. I think, what's her name? Uh, Welker uh, takes over now. But he basically said, man, we've been celebrating the accomplishments. Oh, we've been celebrating the accomplishments of the Biden administration for the last few years. I mean, it's really hard to even think about talking about other than all of these accomplishments. And I don't understand why he and others, because he's not the only one, why they continue to do this. Like, what? what's the point? No one believes what he's saying, right? That everything is great. The Biden administration has been nothing but a wildly successful administration, and the world is yearning for more of it. No one holds that position, and yet he pretends otherwise. Now, behind the scenes, of course, they're taking a completely different position, right? When no one's recording, when they're not doing an interview on TV or the radio for newspaper, whatever it is, they take a different perspective. In fact, Rachel Bade, the reporter from ABC News, a former friend of the show, we haven't had her on in maybe five years, and she doesn't remember who I am, and I used to think that her last name was Blade, but it turns out it's just Bade. She was on ABC News, and she pointed this out. But this whole bedwetting that we're seeing right now amongst Democrats is really happening. And yes, they is. make that joke themselves in terms of bedwetting. I mean, the age issue, the economy. There was some polling this week that we also saw that showed a lot of voters, a significant amount of voters, think that you know Biden might have been part of or knew about what was going on with Hunter Biden making all this money from foreign companies when he was he vice did. president. So that doesn't bode well for him. Yeah. No, it doesn't. So behind the scenes, they're they're going through this, what she calls and others have called bedwetting. Because it's not just that, despite all these so-called accomplishments, that the American people aren't feeling it. It's that this is a guy who people don't trust, nor do they like. And in large part, it's because he set himself up for failure. When he ran, he said he was going to be the unifier in chief. There's not a single person, Republican or Democrat, this is the one bipartisan issue. There's not a single person, regardless of party identification, who would say he's been unifying this country. No one. He's not even attempted. He goes out of his way sometimes, it seems, to demonize the other side. And even if you thought he was trying, no one thinks he's been successful. It feels like we're more divisive now than we've ever been. But on top of that, what he has going against him is that he's 112 years old and looks it and acts it. I was listening this morning to Brian Suits, and he was playing some audio from a press conference he was giving in Vietnam. And even at the end, he said something. It was in the big montage. At the end, he goes, "Um, I need a nap. He wasn't joking. He wasn't joking. I think the reason why he went to Alaska for a 9-11 ceremony instead of to New York is that it's a longer flight, and he would be able to nap. He would get in more hours of sleep. But Rachel is correct in that behind the scenes, everyone kind of knows this. His polling is consistent. This isn't one poll here or there that shows his his marks are down, that his likability and favorability range are down. And those are anomalies. Don't worry. Look at the real clear average. It shows him still above water. No, 
they all show him underwater significantly. Significantly. And it shows Donald Trump either neck and neck or winning in a matchup. And that is freaking out Democrats. And so I don't understand. Not that I want to give them any tips on how to do anything uh, successful around their messaging, but I just don't understand how they can come out and pretend and say with a straight face that all is well, that messaging is not working. And perhaps they're at the point where they've just given up and they're just doing what they have to do. You know what I mean? That there, there's no way around it. They know they're going to lose. And so they've just kind of given up. That's the only thing I can guess, I can, I can think of here, as to why they continue to use these lazy talking points. Now, speaking of lazy talking points on Meet the Press, it was very easy for folks to get away with them if they're Democrats with Chuck Todd. And frankly, he's not very good even with Republicans, and they were able to get away with some lazy talking points too. But now he is departing. Kristen Welker is taking over. I believe that's who it is. Starting next week, this last show was his. Uh, this last weekend show was his last, and he delivered a, a a final farewell. And I will continue, of course, to be a big part of NBC's political coverage because, Ooh. as Tom Brokaw said to me, he says, "Look, what did he say? Some networks do uh, some things well, uh, uh, but nobody does politics like NBC." And he was referring back all the way to David Brinkley, and that is sort of the tradition. I'll let him finish in a moment. NBC News has become Teen Vogue. Look at some of the stories that they cover just by following their Twitter feed. It is remarkable how partisan they've become. And I remember NBC the same way, frankly, I, I, I generally viewed CBS and, and ABC, which was, okay, I might not like all their coverage. Maybe I'm bored a little bit by it, but at least it attempted to be objective it wasn't there's no one who's purely objective but at least there was a point where overall without nitpicking on certain stories or certain individuals that i viewed them as at least trying and perhaps that was my naivete at the time i held this position was very 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 long ago maybe it was my naivete that i didn't just pick up on the partisanship but they don't hide it at all they don't even attempt to hide it I'm not saying they're doing a bad job while trying to hide. No, they don't hide it. They're just out in the open partisan. And I've always said from Brinkley to Russert, and that's the stuff Russert. I want to carry on. That's the stuff Kristen's going to carry on. I also could not have done this job for the last nine years without the team. Yes, you, don't- yes, you could have. Stop it. I could do this show without Max. I mean, yeah, he pushes a button, but I can get someone else to. Don't give me that look. Duncan can do your job. Don't lie. Don't see on television. The producers, the control room, the crew, the editors, the artists make the show look like an incredible production. It doesn't look like an no, no offense. It doesn't look like an incredible production. It's one set, and and that's not a criticism of NBC's Meet the Press any more than it is just a fact of all of the Sunday shows. I, they look all right, I guess, but it's not like they're doing anything innovative. I will say that Fox News Sunday has a, the best to me has the best look mostly because of where the studio is, like the Capitol right in the building, right in the back uh, of the the studio. You can see it out the window. It's gorgeous. And actually just going into the studio for Fox News Sunday, which I'll do on uh, October, whatever the Sunday is uh, at the end of the the month. It it is, you almost get goosebumps. That's how cool it is. I get up early. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Television is a team sport, and I'm proud to be a a member of this team and stay a member of this team, even as a spectator, a cheerleader, and an advisor. So that's all for today. Thanks for watching. And for so many years of loyalty to me and to this show, I'm happy to say my colleague Kristen Welker is going to be here next week because it doesn't matter who sits in this chair. If it's Sunday, it's Meet the Press. Oh, shut up. If it's Sunday, it means I'm probably sleeping in. And by sleeping in, I mean I get an extra 20 minutes of sleep and I get up at like 620. 1-800-465-8770 for your texts. You're listening to The Jason Rancho.